I get off the plane and the rest of it is a blur until I'm, I look up and we're parked at my house and I get out and I go inside and there's my wife. And as soon as I see her, we embrace and just fall out. I mean, we fell to the floor. Like I remember my pastor helping me up to get in the room and we stayed in the room for like four days. I didn't eat. I didn't talk to anybody. I just prayed and sang and we'll, looked at pictures. Like we sang his song. He had two songs that he loved. So we sang those. We, we prayed, we looked at pictures, we cried, we slept, you know, it's just like, I don't know what to, what do you do here? Hey family, I'm coach Steph and I'm Dr. Angela. We are the grief sisters together. We lost four family members in a seven week time period. We know suffering. You may feel lonely, but you are not alone. Let's jump in. Hey family, this is Coach Steph, and we are so glad you are here with us today. This episode, I promise you, will be one for the books, and we are holding space with you. I am really excited. This is Dr. Angela to tell you about our guest today. Known for his distinct, deep voice and versatile flow, Texas-born rapper Tadashi made his debut in 2005 as a member of the 116 Click, a hip-hop group associated with Reach Records. Since then, he's gone on to an acclaimed solo career. His 2014 album, Below Paradise, even debuted at number 17 on the Billboard 200's albums chart. More recently, he launched his first podcast, The Dash. So please check out The Dash and Tadashi's music. You can find it on Spotify, YouTube. Just Google him. You will not be sorry. You'll be so stoked. You can find all of his information in our show notes. And you can also follow him on Instagram at Tadashi. T-E-D-A-S-H-I-I at Tadashi. I follow him and you will love it. Tadashi, we are so grateful to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on for real. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. I met you at Scotty Parker's house last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting story. I'm going to tell listeners about how that happened. Yeah. Um, Scotty, you know, he reached out to me on Instagram, which is why, like, the only reason I love social media is because of the way that it can grow in my imagination and, like, what it teaches me, like, you know, through people like you. The other thing I love about it is that we get to connect with people around the world that we otherwise would not meet. Scotty read my second book, The Gravity of Joy, and then he messaged to tell me that him and his wife had read it. And it was just like so moving, his message to me. And then a few months later, he was like, hey, you know, and I, and I, I, I wrote him back and I was like, oh, thank you so much. You know, didn't think much about it. <laughs> and then he wrote me back and he was like, hey, if I could give you Mavs versus Hawks tickets, would you want to meet with me in Dallas and go to the game and get coffee before? And I'm like, I'm wait, what? And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and so then I, I look him up. I mean, I look at his page and I realize that he's an athletic trainer for the, you know, the NBA team, the Atlanta Hawks. And then I get invited to come and hang out with him and a bunch of his friends. And you're one of them uh, in Atlanta for a retreat. And I was like, it was so cool to sit in a living room with all of you because Every one of you in your own right are just rock stars of human beings. It was just, it was awesome. Man, no, that time together was, it was sweet. I hated that um, my wife and I had something planned the next day and we couldn't come for the entirety of the second day, but I was, I was definitely excited that I got at least 
at least a portion of the amazing wisdom and love you were given out. Man, oh, it was thank you. Well, I mean, I think that that actually is a really good segue to my first question, because the reason why you couldn't come to the last, you know, part of the retreat was because your son had a birthday. Yes. You know that your family is super important to you. And so we'd love for you to just start with, like, first of all, could you take us back to young you? Yeah. Where did you grow up? When did you first realize that you wanted to be an artist? And I'd love to know, just because you are quite an artist, you have an incredible following. You, you know, you've been very successful. Who mentored you? Yeah. Who was good to you growing up? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's a great question. So I am from the great state of Texas. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're all brainwashed as kids, and we're told that Texas is the only place that matters. So I have to <laughs> announce it that way, the great state of Texas. I grew up in Texas. I grew up in East Texas right north of Houston, and eventually made my way to the city. But grew up in a home with my mom and my stepdad for a time. They would eventually get divorced, and I grew up with a younger sister. Uh, and so growing up, I really was this family-oriented kid. It was kind of like, you know, growing up in the country, you, you tend to look forward to family coming over because there's not much else to do except chores and homework. <laughs> so it's like... It's like when family comes over, you get a break. You get to have fun. Yeah. You get to play with people. You get to, you know, hang out. So I really grew up loving when I got to see my family and that once I really started to get to know them and build genuine relationships outside of social hangs, it, it became a part of who I was. I loved being with my family and hanging with them. And that fed into me loving to be with people. So, man, my family were really the people who started me on a journey of exploring all the things that I do now. My mom was a blues singer growing up. Like she sang oh, in blues clubs. She yeah. sang in, in church. She sang really where anybody was calling. She was singing. So that, was, <laughs> so that was always fun. It, was, it, it influenced me like as a, as a young kid, it influenced me to see my mom. I'd go, where are you going? She's like, well, you're going to go stay with your aunt. I have to go over here and perform. And I'm like, really perform what, you know? So yeah. It wasn't, music was not foreign to me. It was actually a part of what we did. You know, music was a part of everything anyway. When we got up in the morning, we played music before school. Or when we had to clean up on the weekend, we're playing music. Or I'm outside working, doing what a country boy does with like, oh, I'm going to go clean up the yard here and deal with the animals here. Like, it was just a thing you did with music. And I'm like, yeah, music's a part of my life. It's just who we are. Mm -hmm. So growing up, Music was something I did. I didn't know I would do it for a career, but I knew that it was going to be a part of my life. But just like growing up in Texas and being told that Texas is amazing, you also get told football is the second best thing on earth. <laughs> so I, my, I come from a family of educators and the first gift I remember receiving was a football. Then I got a book. Like oh was, my goodness. That's, that's how serious it was. Like every Sunday, people were yelling at a screen because the football game was on every weekend, somebody's going to go watch a college game. Like it was just Friday night was the night you lived for Friday night because you were going to get to go to the game and watch people play football and hit the concession stand up and get your nachos and get your soda. <laughs> and it was a it was a normal routine in my life. It's all, yeah. it's all I knew. So by God's grace, I got a chance to play football in college. I ended up getting to go to this really small school you might have heard of called Baylor University, and <laughs> I got. I got accepted to Baylor. I ended up walking onto the football team and then the track team. 
this was during the time where we were not good. Like we, when, when the stadium was on Valley Mills, three, five miles away from the campus. So I was playing during that time when people, when we would have to walk campus and pass out tickets to get people to come to the games. Like that's when I played. But oh, wow. yeah. so now when I tell people like, yeah, I played at Baylor before I got injured. They're like, you played at Baylor? And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You wouldn't be saying this if, if thank God for RG3, because you wouldn't be saying this unless that brother showed up. This was a different team. We were a different school. <laughs> but I ended up going to Baylor, and that's where God kind of brought about a change because I was, I was playing football. I got injured. And if Malcolm Gladwell is correct in his 10,000-hour theory, then I got my 10,000 hours of music, not only growing up, but being in my dorm room and being injured and all I could do was sit up and listen to music and rap and mm -hmm. sing. And mm -hmm. so instead of playing football at college, I ended up focusing more on music. And that's kind of how I started the journey into music. My family was really the first teachers that I had in my life to push me toward pursuing the things that I love, which was sports and music. And then probably the only other person I would mention to answer your question would be my high school English teacher her name is Mrs. Martinez, and she is, to this day, I tell people she's the reason that I sound and speak the way I do because she Ooh. heard, she wow. heard my voice. I, I liken it to the movie Lean on Me or Dangerous Minds yeah. or something like that. Like she, all of my friends are like, oh, what do they say? You had the caring white lady who was a teacher at your school. I was like, yes, <laughs> I did. She, she saw me one day acting crazy and was like, Hey, there's more about you than, you know, I think you're selling yourself short, trying to be like everybody else. And she saw something invested in me, chose to believe in me. And to this day, like we are friends, like I often call and check on her. She'll send me a Christmas gift. She's, Hey, how are the kids? And you know, like every time I leave, I live in Atlanta now. And every time I drive back to Texas. I stop in Louisiana to visit her because she lives there. Oh my goodness. I love like, that. My kids know her now. She took them to an alligator farm. Like she is for me, she's one of the biggest parts of my story outside of my mom and my spiritual father. So, okay. Oh my gosh. Sadashi, I love this so much. I want to say just for a moment, shout out to all of the K through 12 educators out there. Yes. We are so grateful to you and for you, especially those of you who have worked through this pandemic, those of you who just retired, all that. We give shouts out, shout out to you. Yo, uh, for real. For the ways that you invest in kids' lives. I'm with you. Like I have a fifth grade teacher that totally like shaped my life and helped me to become the speaker I am today. I'll tell that story some other day. Yeah. But also, Steph was a middle school science teacher for a while. So let's go, Steph. Yeah, uh, yeah, I absolutely was. I, I, this coach Steph talking. And first of all, I have to say, I am completely starstruck by you, Tadashi. <laughs> I have listened to your. I have to get it out of the way. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I have listened to your song "Home." I mean, a thousand oh, times. Wow. That that song has pulled me through many sleepless nights. And I absolutely love it. I, mm -hmm. I love every single word in that song. And so I appreciate that so much. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. So I was a sixth grade science teacher. That is an, that is another episode, Angela. We could get into all of our teaching. I know we're saying silliness, but I also feel like Tadashi's story is like, a, it was a, it's a movie in the making already. Yes. I, I see this movie wow. transforming. 
just right before my eyes. And from I, your lips to God's ears. There we go. There we go. There it is. Right. Yeah. I'm prophesizing right now. Yes. Like, let's yes. do it. No, right. So one, Coach Steph, let me just say, I wasn't joking. Everyone in my family are educators. They were either in the army first and then became an educator, or they went straight to the education route. My mom retired after 40 years of teaching. My aunt is still teaching. She's like in year 45. Uh, my mom was a coach. Most of my family are principals, superintendents, teachers in the classroom. One of my cousins, she's about to retire, but they made her the librarian because she's like, let me do something else now. So, I mean, they drove school, but they did everything. All I knew was growing up with teachers. And so I say this with a sense of experience. Praise God for you working with junior high children. My God. Oh, that is a special grace. I'm just letting you know. Yeah, I got into that on accident. And just briefly, I'll say that my daughter went to a new school as a sixth grader. And I was kind of oddly between jobs. I usually yeah. have two or three jobs at a time and became the substitute there as a private Christian school and thought I was going to spy on her and just see what the school was all about. <laughs> and then it, it just fell into my lap. I do have a, you know, a, a Bachelor of Science and yeah. I, the sixth graders they're they're still a little scared so it was yeah. it was great and the science is so cool i mean I, I i could be the cool teacher and do explosions and that's and all of that sort of thing and <laughs> that's fine yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah like literally building volcanoes and all the cool stuff so i Pre i love teaching i absolutely love it i i just i just also love having the freedom of an awesome schedule that i can build myself so that's the only reason i'm not doing it anymore I get that. But you you had the wow factor available to you when needed. Like most English teachers don't have that. Like, what do they do if they're like, oh, I'm losing them. I'm losing them. What, what can I do? You know what? I can blow up something. Like you have the wow factor to reel them back in. But hey, my, hey, you know, hey. You know, you know Kadashi, the, math teachers teacher, don't. You, you could drop James Baldwin and then you got that wow factor too. No, this <laughs> is true. This is true. Come but on, like, come you know, on. Don't hate math on English teachers. teachers. But math teachers don't have that. Like math teachers That's don't true. get. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you yeah. go. Absolutely. Well, Tadashi, I'd like to transition a little bit. And, yeah. you know, we'd love speaking of your song home and your numerous other amazing songs. We, we have a, we have a boat that we as a family use to do surfing and we listen to your music a lot. It's just wow. it's the best, coolest surf music ever. Thank and you. you're welcome. We'd love you to tell the listeners a little bit more, maybe about your music style. I can kind of already hear maybe your mom's influence in there and yeah. your touring platform and your production company and what is unashamed. Yeah. And what are your hopes for the future with your music? Yes. So music stylistically for me, my phrase is variety of sound. Mm. And the reason that phrase exists for me is because again, like you alluded to, in your question, my upbringing, my mom exposed me to so many different styles of music. Growing up, I mean, again, I, of course, heard blues music, but my stepdad would listen to country music. So that was playing in the house. And then I would hear soul and pop and R&B and jazz. And I would hear, now granted, hip hop was not allowed in my house growing up because my mom was was like, we don't know what this thing is and we're not going to let you get involved. I hear too much bad mm -hmm. stuff about it. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I could listen to a blues song that was just as crash, but nevertheless, <laughs> sure. I was, I, this is not the moment to point out my mom's hypocrisy. It's more to say 
she's blessed me enough to have all these other sounds instead of letting me settle for just wanting to listen to rap all day. So I, I push through the, the idea of whether or not I like or dislike to the reality of what is it, is it good or bad to me? Like, is it good music? Is it bad music more than do I like it or want it? It, it, it changed my perspective on music. And so I think that has an effect on me when I create today, because I don't, I don't listen for like or dislike. I listen for, is it quality or am I lacking in quality? And so <laughs> it really does push me to go, I want a variety of sound that is quality so that it does relate to everybody from the sixth grade science teacher to the missionary in Botswana to the guy doing skateboard parks in Paris. I wanted to reach across the world. Mm -hmm. the, the, my way to do so was to have this variety of sound and content wise. I just, I, I grew up again. One of my heroes was my English teacher. So I read so much Shakespeare and just loved how for him, the world was where he got his content. That's always influenced me. I write based on what I see in the world and hip hop is already that type. It, lean, it lends itself to that type of thinking anyway, because most of the people doing it early on, they were for all intents and purposes, hood journalists who just wrote about what they saw around them. And I, right. side note, I locally, my family, my, my English teacher, Ms. Martinez and <clears throat> my coach were like two, all of the biggest people that I think I had in my life. But for me as a kid growing up on my wall, there was a poster of a football player named Lawrence Taylor. There was a poster of a Ferrari because that's just what you did. And then <laughs> randomly as a kid, there was a Baylor poster on my wall because I'd visited the campus once. And then everything else on my wall was journalists. I grew up, I was an athletic nerd. I loved journalists. I was a fan of Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather, <laughs> Ted Koppel, Connie Chung. Yeah. Like, I'm, I mean, literally their pictures were on my wall. Tavis Smiley, like all these people were on my wall that I was fans of. So for me doing music, I'm a journalist. I get to find the scoop, whether that's because of my faith in scripture or because of my life experience on earth, I get to get the scoop on it and then give it to the people. And so I, I love being able to do that. And that all kind of shapes how I approach doing music. Yeah. What a beautiful vocation. I love the way you just described your, like the sort of like the sacred call in your life and, you know, in the way that you do music, that is so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, could you say something about Unashamed and also Dashworks? Oh, yes. You yeah. did and say that. I'm and so then Dashworks too. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Yeah. I, so Although music is my career, I tell everybody God's made me to be a creative communicator. I believe that's what I'm here for. I started my touring entity called Unashamed Ministries. And Unashamed is based on a Bible verse, Romans 1.16. It says, for I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the idea of it is I want to, I want to not only with my own music, but anyone else's I can work with push forward this idea of being unashamedly who you've been created to be. Mm. And, and for me, that has been kind of the marker overall is wanting to fight to make sure who you are at the core of your identity and how you feel you've been created to present yourself to this world. I want to walk alongside you, join in in that and help you communicate that. I believe 
I believe there is a legitimate call on my life to communicate. So I want to do that myself, but walk alongside other people who are doing it to help them communicate what their burden to say as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, listeners, I really think that Tadashi's music is going to, as Steph said earlier in this episode, help you walk through grief. And I mean, I feel like that that's like music that comes from lived experience like yours, that comes from the heart that you have. It does. It walks with us through our hardest times. And I was wondering if you could talk, you know, we we wanted to transition a little bit to talk about grief specifically. The pandemic had to be really difficult for artists. Because like a lot of what you do is perform live for people in person. Yes. You do online, there's a lot online, but a lot of probably the joy of being, I would imagine being an artist is being able to be on stage. So yes. what was the pandemic like for you as an artist? As an artist, the pandemic was really difficult. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I know that initially, because, you know, we didn't know what was really going to be. So you, you're not really processing the entirety of what we can now looking back. But in the right. moment, in the moment, I, it started out fun. And those fun moments are still considered fun. I mean, I got a un, unplanned vacation to spend time with my kids. Like that was great. Mm-hmm. Having the downtime to be home was great. I will say that not to make light of why we were home, but just to say it, the benefit of it. One of the good things that came out of it was I was really home every day of the week with my kids. That was great for me, because I travel. I know some parents are like, I was home every day. You know, it's like, (laughs) okay, I get it. But for me, traveling all the time, being home was amazing. Yeah. But as it went on, I started to realize I was not able to to create as much as I could and to be able to go out and share it with the rest of the world. Those things started to weigh on me. Mm -hmm. Music for a person like me who's suffered many instances of loss and grief for a person like me who feels as though I was born to be a creative communicator. Like there was a level of, of sorrow that led to grief because I was, I was unable to really exist in the fullness of what I feel like I'm here to be. And I couldn't enjoy what it meant to, to share that with other people. I learned in college, this, this term musicality, and I know people probably have heard it before and thought about it, but when I learned about musicality, one of the things that they communicated, and this is before I did music, they communicated the idea of music being a two-way street. Oftentimes we think of music from a listener standpoint, but being one who does music, I recognize it's a two-way street where I am giving music out and I am now waiting for them to listen to then give a response to what they heard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That that wave of communication was broken up. It It was robbed of what it could be fully. So I'm making music, but now I'm not able to put it anywhere. And it's, it's lacking in what it could be. And then on top of that, there was stuff I just wanted to say, I just wanted to be more encouraging or more engaging. And I couldn't be outside of social media. And that was robbing me of a, of a sense of, of joy and, and pleasure as well. So it, it, it was a, it ended up being more difficult than I thought. Like the moment I got to go out and get in the studio again or go and do a concert, like by that point, my wife was like, yes, go. Because go. <laughs> I'm the guy who walks around house, walks around my house and I just make up songs on the spot. Like I've been doing this all my life. And wow. with with my mom, who was, a, who was saying, she was like, 
yeah, do it. Ha ha ha. That's fun. Or that's funny. But with my wife, my wife is an electrical engineer by trade. She thinks in binary, if I, in my opinion. So she's, <laughs> she's not, she's not the person to be like, yeah, keep making that random noise all day. Keep doing it. So, <laughs> so the moment I could get out of the house to go somewhere, she was like, bye, have fun. <laughs> So yeah. I, I, I mean, it was just, it was lacking. She could see the heaviness of it on me. It was, it was a tough moment for real as an artist. Mm-hmm. Not, to mention, not to mention you couldn't travel and earn a living. Like I was that being a, traveling and doing events was how I paid my bills. So I was just yeah. like, what's happening? I, I've not had a concert in six months. What is going on? Yeah. So even that part of it was heavy and difficult. It's an it's from a creative perspective, but even just from a adult adulting perspective, it just became difficult. Yeah. So many people can feel everything that you were saying. Yeah. You know, everything from just being in a crowded space with your family, with your people, with your roommates, to work just being so difficult and needing to be agile and constantly shipped to then like the money not coming in that you're used to and just yeah. so many dimensions of what you said are really, really relatable. Yes. Absolutely agree. And, you know, it's interesting too, because I think when you bring up the pandemic, as you said, it was kind of cool at first. Like we're all hunkered down. Everybody went to Walmart and bought a thousand dollars worth of groceries. <laughs> yes. We, we were all going to have a little bit of respite, so to speak, from our life. And then yeah. a month in, two months in, you start to really, really miss it. I mean, I think even introverts were like, let's get out of here. Let's do mm-hmm. something. You know? No, you're, you're totally right. I think that, that as we come out of it completely or more so anyway, we have this new appreciation for human contact and for music and for movies and for all of the things that we kind of took for granted. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that's real. That's, that's so true. Yeah. You talked a little bit about your different and various griefs that you've had over the years. And as we grow older, we encounter grief in various forms and different times in our life. I would ask you kind of the delicate question, what kind of grief has most impacted your life? Or maybe another way of asking that is when you think back on what you've personally been through, what stands out for you in your journey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's totally fine. We can transition. And I appreciate your tone and transition too. That's, I, I just commend you guys as I've kind of tried to check out what you guys do. I appreciate the, even with you, Angela, in the moment here in Atlanta, like you could see the awareness of how you will approach the subject of grief, but then people individually for where they are. So I just, I commend you guys because I can see the intentionality in that, the, the kindness, the love, the grace. Mm-hmm. I see that. I, I feel it even now as you ask your question. So I just, I didn't want to fly by that. I was like, I want to acknowledge that uh-huh. for, for me, for your listeners, just so they know there is a, even in that, there is a lesson to be learned in how you guys approach it. So I mm-hmm. love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so grief primarily for me in terms of losing loved ones has probably been the most difficult or consistent thing to, to deal with in life. I've I've definitely felt grief in other areas, but, but losing loved ones has been probably the primary thing where I find myself, honestly, at some point in life, looking up, going, man, I even said in a song, I was like, it feels like death follows me. 
Wow. Why is that? Like I get, I get that that's something that happens on earth. Sure. We can be cerebral and just say that, but to live in the experience of it, the only thing I could go to was like, okay, is this something that's just following me? When is this, when is, when will this leave me alone? Oh, um, I feel that. Yeah. I feel those words. Yeah. So losing loved ones has definitely been probably the most primary thing overall. I tell people, even as I share things now, I'm like, man, I, and I don't say this to make light of anything else. It's just something that I say in the moment. I was like, man, people hate to lose in, in any regard. I grew up playing sports. I hated to lose a game. I hated when I lost my homework or I hated when I couldn't find my dog or, I, you know, I lost $5 and I hated it. And I was like, man, those are the things that I, I allude to, to say, like, we've all experienced loss in life in different ways to different levels, but I've never known loss in this way, this consistently. So it wrecked my world. I didn't know what to do. I was like, even with all the stuff that I mentioned with the, in my mind, the minuscule things of loss that people can go through in comparison to what I'm describing, I guess, I'm just like, even in that, I can replace it. I can do something different. Mm -hmm. But with losing a loved one, I didn't know how to fix it in the normal way that you would something else. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to deal with that. I was like, I don't know what to do here. What do I do? I think that's what made it feel even, even heavier than other, other types of losses for me personally. Because I just didn't, there was no fix. There was no answer for me in the moment. Yeah, I completely resonate with what you're saying. And I think you and I in some way share a little bit of the same grief. I know you have a loss of a son and, and yeah. I do as well. Yeah. And I, I, people hear me talk about this a lot. I call it my cement backpack that I'll wear the rest of my life. Yes. And that when you say that grief follows you. It's, it's so true. It's, it's like that nagging fly or something like that. that you're just like. When is this going to, when am I going to be able to leave this behind? And yes. the longer we're in that space, the grief space, the, the more we realize that we are going to have to carry it with us in some way. And I know yeah. that, that you created the Chase Foundation in honor of your son. Yes. And we would love for you to share what the Chase Foundation does or what it's all about and, and maybe even a little about him if you'd like to. Yes. No, I appreciate that. I would love to. If you have experienced loss of any kind, you may be feeling overwhelmed and stuck. We get it. That's why we created Rise. It is an engaging five-step journey that you can take at your own pace that will help you get on the road toward healing. It comes with videos and a companion guide and easy actions you can try each day to help you to find relief. To join the RISE journey, head to thegriefsisters.com or check out the link in today's show notes. So to your point, one thing that I, so for, as to frame what I'm about to say real quick, can I ask your son's name? Sure. Mason. Mason. Awesome. Okay. So like you sharing with me about losing Mason, it instantly something in me is wanting to give you an air hug over the <laughs> air. It's right, like, right. oh man, I just want to, I just want to be, I want, not only do I want you to feel comforted and, and safe as you share, but I want to, I want to express for myself, 
the level of empathy that I feel towards you in the moment and condolences and all of those things. And yet in that, it doesn't end there. So when you say like, oh yeah, can you tell me about the foundation and maybe talk about Chase? I tell people all the time, especially people who know me and are in my life, I'm like, you can talk about Chase whenever you want. I am okay. Yeah. Like yes. if you, what, what I think tends to happen often, and you all probably have dealt with this in various ways, but what, in my experience, what tends to happen is people approach grief from their lenses, not the lens of the individual grieving. It's often that people will approach you based on, on the assumption of what they would do if they were in that or what they would want, if they were dealing with it too. And I find often that people are timid or, and, and granted, people want to be respectful and I'm grateful for that. But I find often that people are timid to approach the subject when I'm in like, Chase is real. The, the life that we had with Chase is real. The pictures are on the wall for a reason. Like we can talk about him anytime you want. I am okay. What you're going to have to be okay with is if there are moments of tears, yeah. just know that that's a right. part of me. That's a part of my right. life now. Right. That doesn't mean you messed up or did something wrong. If you did, I'm, I'm in a healthy place. Uh, I'm in a healthy enough place to tell you, Hey, this is a little off, but for the most part, I tell anybody like, no, we can talk about him all day. I love it. Like Chase is hmm, still a part of my family. I tell people like I'm the father of four. One's just safe with Jesus in heaven. Yeah. Um, right. and so Chase was born in March. Like this was the joy that I had and like excitement. Cause I was like. I always, I grew up one, I, I was the guy who grew up, who couldn't wait to get married and have kids. Like that was me. So I was the guy in high school wondering what the name of my kids were going to be. Like that oh, was great. When Chase was born, it was so close to my, I thought he was going to be born on my birthday. My birthday is March 8th and he was born March 14th. So I was oh, like, wow. dang it. I just met, we just met. Like that was <laughs> one of my childhood dreams. Like, oh my God, he's going to be born on my birthday. It's going to be so great. Basically, March became his month. Like, my birthday's on the 8th, but really, I'm getting ready to celebrate him. So it was just super cool, yeah. even when he was in the womb, like, to think, like, man, this is something that we're going to celebrate and be excited about. And then he's bored and he's here, and it's just like, man, this is your month now. It just is. I tell everybody, I growing up, I was never, I was, I was romantic, if you will, for as much as a teenager can be romantic. Uh, but like, I, I saw myself as a romantic, but I never believed in love at first sight. I was like, I always thought that was corny from the movies to the plays to the whatever. I was like, that's corny until I saw my son. Uh. I tell everybody, I didn't believe in love at first sight until I laid eyes on my son. And I was like, oh, I love you instantly. This is amazing. So there's already this draw to you, but then there is this joy and pleasure to nurture you and love you and be with you in different ways. Then each child has their own personality and unique quirks. And Chase was the baby that was always going to slobber everywhere, no matter what. Like Dan my wife, her name is Danielle. Danielle's nickname was Sweetums for him because <laughs> he was like, he has the sweetest cheeks. And they were just literally like puffed out squirrel cheeks with slobber everywhere. It was so adorable. <laughs> Everyone who knew Chase was like, yep, if I'm gonna hold you, I know my shirt's gonna be wet. Uh -huh. Like I just know. And so you're okay we, with that. And you're totally and, okay with it. And you're totally cool <laughs> with it. You're totally cool with it. And like, I'm the weirdo who would hold him and like literally just smell his breath. Like every baby, I'm like, I just want to smell your breath. Like this is great. <laughs> it's so pure. You smell like these are your smells and it's yeah. so dope. It's so great. 
that was, you know, my engagement more or less until he got a little bit older and he would start to crawl and then, you know, pull up and eventually take, try to take a step and tumble. But it was just like, these are my engagements with you. And, and this is how I show you affection and love physically and in, in your space. It was some of the most amazing moments of my life. And looking back, it's just like knowing that I'm about to, my saying is, when they're crying, I go in the room, I grab him out the crib, I hold him in my arms and I cradle his head, the back of his head in my, in my hands. And then his body is laying on my forearms yeah. and I have my elbows on the bed and I'm rocking him like in a little rocker up and down and I'm humming to him. And that was my cradling of him. I didn't, I didn't, that's how I did all my sons, but it's mm. like, that's how I cradle you. Mm. And so some of the most joyous, sad, difficult, but joyful moments of thought is when I think back to like, man, I'm just cradling him and he's just giggling and he stops crying. And I honestly believe that type of holding and rocking, like I, I believe with all my heart, he knew that was me doing it. Like it was, that was something distinctive that only I did with him and nobody else. So I could tell he would look up when I did it. So it was just those moments of that were sweet and fun or joyful always smiling. I literally was like, none of our boys had pacifiers. And I literally was like, he's the only one who doesn't cry a lot. Like he doesn't yeah. need it. Like he just didn't need it. And so a year later, a year and a week later, Chase ends up passing away. And I don't mind sharing. The doctor told us that it was uh, natural circumstances. Basically the doctor was like, he was too old to call it SIDS, but he, but he was not far off from that diagnosis. We just can't medically say that for legal reasons. So in losing him in that way, as hard as it is to lose him, we both were, were, I believe, given a gift in that moment to not carry the guilt of like, did we do something wrong? Yeah. Are we horrible people? How, did we not love him well? Did we not see something that we missed? What did we do? And we, we could, we were grieving, but we could do so without blame for one another. And that was, I just think, a, an amazing moment God gave us just to, in that moment. Like there was no, as, as much as you want to play the what if game and that, like, what if I did this and would it be different? What if I did that? Right. So many I, people do that. It just, it, they do. And it just robs you of so much joy, not only of what you experienced, but now the journey ahead and what could be joyful because that is consuming your thoughts and taking over your, your life. We didn't play that game with each other or with ourselves. Maybe at times we would struggle with it, but it wasn't a prominent thing. And it left room for me to just kind of celebrate Chase's life and who he is and, and like how his life was for us as young parents. And, and moving forward, we wanted to do something that would share that with the rest of the world. I, I felt this burden in my heart when we were at home in Texas before we moved to Atlanta. Hmm to say like, what would I do? What would I do to honor him? What could I do to show forth the love that I have for him and the love that he brought the world, the joy he brought the world. And I thought to myself, I want to do for someone else what I would do for Chase if he was here now. That gives me an outlet for the love that's in my heart for, mm. for a kid, but it also gives me a way to walk alongside other people who experience something similar. So. As of last year, March last year, the lawyers started doing the paperwork with the IRS and they made it an official entity with the state of Georgia. So we launched 
we soft launched the Chase Foundation. And so uh, that, that was his birthday that we did that. Uh, and so this year will be 10 years, the 10 year anniversary of his passing. Um, and for me in my own journey, it's taken that long for me to be able to do, do the foundation mm -hmm. and not lose myself. Just the first three years were really difficult. The, the next three years were just as difficult, but it came with just darkness that it, that entered into my world. I have, like, I've, I'm in therapy now, been meeting with a therapist for four years. That's been an awesome journey for my life Been dealing with grief, but I met with a psychiatrist for a while, but I just, I did not know that I was depressed and that I was having anxiety attacks and that I was dealing with so much around losing my son. I thought I'm just dealing with growing up and being an adult, but these things were real things that I had to address. It's taken this long to be able to get to a place of health to do the foundation mm -hmm. and then it's just taking longer because I didn't realize how slow the IRS really is when right. it comes to paperwork. So yeah. I'm yeah. Like, they're like, oh, are you doing stuff with it? I'm like, well, kind of. The IRS is still, we're still waiting on them, but kind okay. of. Right. So, but the goal of it, the, the mission for it is a present help for future hope. And the desire of my heart is to be just that. I want to be present with people in whatever way possible who have lost a loved one, <clears throat> primarily a, a child, and to walk with them in whatever way I can in order to provide a level of encouragement, counsel, and what I call love in the new normal, like mm -hmm. giving them an opportunity to embrace the new normal while feeling love instead of feeling like they have to embrace this new normal as they go through it alone or by themselves or with the rest of life hanging over their head. It's like, no, you're okay. We got you. With the work, I want to have retreats where we get to go away with families to honor their lost loved ones, to also love on them, to provide counsel, to give opportunity for count, like expressing it and releasing it in different ways. My wife, Danielle, is a health and wellness coach. She went, after she left corporate America, this became her new passion. She's a doula. She is a woman who helps people walk through grief and loss. She is certified train, fitness trainer. She teaches yoga, Pilates, cycling, fitness, TRX bands, you name it. She's that person. And so together we want to help people holistically address the new normal that they're living in mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and environmentally, and provide opportunities to get away, to learn, to fellowship with other people and build a community around them with people who they, who who, who, can, who they can feel safe with at the start of their grief or in the middle of their grief to say their journey, to be able to say like, okay, well, I, I feel safe with this person because they, they, they can comprehend something about what I'm dealing with. Well, your wife sounds like our people for sure. She is. No, she really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, before we move on, I just, I want to touch on two things that you said. And, yeah. and one of them that just really stood out for me is you said that you are now using the love you had for Chase to help others. And yeah. I think that's really worth repeating because so often, not just for us as parents who've, who've lost a child, but anyone who has that, that loss in their life, you do, you kind of are like, what do I do with this? Yeah. Of course, I still love them. And it brings to mind that at Christmas time, 
I buy gifts on his behalf and, and yes. give them to other people because it's just that the act of doing that habit that I've had. Yes. That to me was was really amazing what you said. And then additionally, you said having this love as like a new normal. Mm-hmm. And I think that those go together, that finding that avenue to pour that love into really can make a difference in people's healing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I agree 100%. There are people who they, the day after we lost Chase. So I'll share this story and I'll try to be brief with it and just considering time, but I found out about Chase passing away as I was landing back from an event. So I left and he was feeling sick, but he was still acting like himself, you know? So I was like, okay, I land, he has a fever, but my wife is dealing with it. We had a doctor, she took him to the doctor, all this stuff to make sure he's okay. Land and come back and I have, you know, 15 voicemails and I'm like, what is happening right now? And I don't check the voicemail. I call my wife just to be like, hey, I landed. And she's, she tells me on the phone that he passes, that he passed away. And I, I remember the initial moment being doubt or like disbelief. Lack of comprehension, like, did I hear what I thought I heard? Then disbelief in what I believe I heard. Then not really accepting it, but just not knowing what to do. And I just, I started bawling. Like, literally, Mm -hmm. I started wailing. Like, it wasn't just a, yeah, I'm crying right now. It was a legitimate. I'm wailing. And I'm next, on the plane prior to landing, one, it was like a great moment. Like, I got upgraded to first class. That never happens. I got upgraded. And then I'm sitting next to this lady who is like sauced out of her mind at 10 a.m. So I'm just like, like, hey, sweetie, how you doing? Or she's touchy-feely. She's like nothing odd, like nothing flirted and nothing like that. Just really like touchy-feely, friendly person. And I was just like, hey, buddy, all right. So I decided I'm going to share the gospel with her. I was like, I'm just going to talk to you about God. And as I try (laughs) to talk to her about something that I love and believe in, I get to the point of just telling her, man, you don't understand everything I'm saying, but just don't lose faith in yourself or why you're here. Just have faith. Just have faith. There's something bigger than you. Just have faith. That's all I could say to her. So when I land and I get the news, I'm wailing on the plane and I'm hitting the wall. Like, I'm not angry. I'm just like, I want to get out. I'm so, you know, you, you land on a plane. It's typically super silent when the plane lands and they make an announcement, all that stuff. Well, I'm the one that's loud up front hitting the wall. Scaring the crap out of flight attendants who are like, what is wrong with them? What's happening? And the lady next to me who I've been talking to leans over to the lady like he's, I got him, I got him. And the lady sits down and she literally brings me in and she's rubbing my back and she's like, just have faith. Just have faith. Just have faith. I had no clue the thing I'm trying to tell her about is what I needed in the mind. I didn't know know it would be. I was like, oh, you need this. And not knowing, no, no, bro, you need this. You're going to need this. So she's rubbing my back telling me, you know, just have faith, just have faith. She has no clue what happened, but she's saying that to me and I'm bawling. Like I'm crying. I get, and no one moves. I get off the plane. Nobody moves. Nobody speaks. I get off the plane. And the rest of it is a blur until I'm, I look up and we're parked at my house and I get out and I go inside and there's my wife. And as soon as I see her, we embrace and just fall out. I mean, we fell to the floor. Like I remember my pastor helping me up to get in the room and we stayed in the room for like four days. I didn't eat. I didn't talk to anybody. I just prayed and sang and woke, 
looked at pictures. Like we sang his song. He had two songs that he loved. So we sang those. We, we prayed, we looked at pictures, we cried, we slept, you know, it's just like, I don't know what to, what do you do here? And, and the reason I said, I talk about losing loved ones a year before losing Chase, my sister passes away from pneumonia. She was, mm-hmm. she was a really bad diabetic, had been, had been a diabetic, she had juvenile, juvenile diabetes, like been since a kid. So she's been dealing with different types of sicknesses off and all that she passes. And I'm, I'm watching my dad move, grieve the loss of his daughter. I'm grieving my sister. And then a year before that, my, my dad's wife, my stepmom passes away from breast cancer and I'm grieving her. I'm watching my dad grieve her. So in like three years time, my stepmom, my sister, and now my son are, are all gone. And I'm, I'm not only feeling the weight of losing him, but everybody and just going like, what is life? Earth, earth sucks. Earth sucks. (laughs) Earth is the worst. Like I just felt that all week, that week. And then eventually I leave the room and I'm talking to people. And the hardest thing I had to do in my life was my pastor comes to me and he says, Hey, I don't want to talk about it. I'm just doing it. Cause I got to, we need to plan a service and I don't want to do it. And you don't want to do it, but we got to plan a service. And that was the moment for me where I was like, oh, this is really real. Yeah. Oh. And I looked at him and I said, no. And I walked away and I just left. I was like, nope, not doing it, man. And I went outside. And I remember that was the moment when a couple down the street was invited to come meet us and see us. And they're telling us about them losing their, their child. And they were the first people we met who had gone through that. And the loving way they dealt with us and spoke with us and met with us. Like the, I remember sitting there going, why is she crying? This is not her. So, you know, just not knowing, just why is she crying though? Not knowing she's crying because she's triggered in the moment by, because of our loss by her own loss, but also she's just a kind, empathetic human. Like she just is there and loving on us. And so that was the first moment I was made aware of, I can love someone else who's in this in a, in a way that nobody else can, because I know too, I know too. I, I never through this experience, I will never say to someone, oh, I know how you feel lies. I will never say that again. But what I will say is I can totally relate to you. And if you let me, I want to love you the way that I felt loved by people when this happened with me. And I want to do my best to honor. If you, if if you allow the example, I want to do my best to honor Mason as much as possible right now. So let's spend time together. And that's honestly the heart that the Chase Foundation was birthed out of. I just want to be a present help in, in future hope. And for future hope and walk alongside people who know this journey and just journey well with them. I don't know about you, Steph, but this is Angela. I just want to give you an air hug back. <laughs> I am so moved by everything you have said. Like I literally have been in tears over here and then yeah. I've laughed. I've smiled. Why not want to say that your love for Chase is so palpable and It is such, I just, I honor that today and I honor his life and the joy that he brought you uh, and the joy that he brings you today as you talk about him. It was, it was, I was so moved by that. And also your picture of fatherhood was so, I think that there is, there's a lot of depictions of fatherhood in the United States today that are really poor. And the one you painted, there are so many good fathers out there who love their children the way that you do. 
And I just love that picture of fatherhood that you painted and just you cradling your boys in that way and loving them. Would you give us one line of the song? You said he had two songs. So a a good friend of mine who does music too, his name is KB. He has a song called Church Clap. Uh And the song would come on. It's upbeat. It's it's four on the floor, like clap back to back. And the song would say, let me hear the church clap, church clap, church (laughs) clap. And it's up-tempo fun at concerts, but Chase heard it at a concert that he came to. Uh-huh. And and literally, like, every time that one song, we were playing a playlist of all the music we do. But when that song came on, he was up, hitting the table, clapping his <laughs> hands. And I was, <laughs> it was the first song I was like, oh, you have rhythm. You're clapping on beat. This is great. Yes. I was, it was already pride in me, like, oh, this is great. My kid has rhythm. This is dope. <laughs> but, but there was also this fun moment of, like, Oh, this is your song. Okay. Uh-huh. Love it. And then the other song is In Christ Alone. It was a song. Uh-huh. I yeah. I honestly didn't know. So I, we didn't, I didn't grow up going to church. And then when I became a Christian, I didn't grow up going to churches that sang music like that. I, okay. I heard yeah. mass choirs and all this other stuff. That song was so new to me when he was born. Like it was probably, I'd probably heard it three or four times, but, but Danielle, would hum that to them as she rocked him to sleep after nursing him. And it just became a habit to do the same thing because it was familiar to him. So I'm in, I'm, I'm cradling him in the morning. Like I made sure for all my boys, I was the first person in the morning to go to him after they woke up. Now, granted, during the nursing phase, it's like difficult to do that. But I tried my best. So they slept through the night in their crib. I'm the first one in there and I'm waking them up and I'm pulling them up because I love, we, we use the Velcro swaddle thing to swaddle them to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved every time we unswaddle, all of them would throw their hands up to stretch, but it would look like they're like, I'm free. But it was just super cute. It was super adorable to watch them yeah. throw their tiny baby arms up with this space of stretching and like, oh, you know, making the noise. I'm like, I love this. And then I would pull them close and I would cradle them in my arms, kiss them, say good morning. And then I would just hum. Mm-hmm. And I would just hum that over and over. And just watch him just look up and wake up to the world. That was my, and even now, like (laughs) my youngest is seven. His name is Kai. So we have, we have Jaden, who's 13, who's seventh grader who loves science, by the way, but 13, Chase would be, Chase would be turning 12 and then this year. And then, uh, I'm sorry, no, I'm lying. He'd be turning 11. And then uh, we have Callan, who is, Callan's nine. Yeah, he just turned nine in December. And then Kai is seven. And Kai is my youngest. And I still like grab him and hold him and sway him side to side. Like last (laughs) night, he was like, is this how you did when I was a baby? And I was like, <laughs> no, not really, somewhat. But if I held you the way that I held you when I was a baby, it would be really awkward. We're not going to do that now. <laughs> so that, that time is done, buddy. But, uh, yeah. but I'll still hold you side to side and rock you. So yeah. it was just, it was just, it honestly, last night made me think about all of them and how I did them because he asked that question. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned a few things that have really helped you to keep moving forward. I mean, and that's what I hear in your story is it hasn't been easy. It's been heavy. It's been dark. Mm -hmm. It's been really, really difficult. 
on many days in the past decade. But what I hear in your story is I keep moving. Like I'm moving yeah. forward. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm getting up. So what do you feel like beyond therapy, which is incredible. I'm so grateful to my therapist too. And I'm glad, you know, that you mentioned that, that that's been yeah. one of the things that's helped you. What else or who else has helped you to keep moving forward? Yeah, these are great questions. One of the things for me that was a gift was having Jaden, who is our oldest son. Jaden was three when Chase passed away. So he was young. He comprehends the idea that Chase is not here, but I don't think at the time he really understood why or what happened or, you know, what that fully meant. So he was just being a kid. His sense of his need of normalcy always drew me out to be mm -hmm. normal with him, mm -hmm. uh, to fight for normal with him, even if it was a new normal. It was just like, he still needed to eat. He still needed to bathe. He still needed to go play outside. He still wanted help with something. He still wanted to read or watch his show. And so it was, it was like, yo, this is, this, I, what, what was feeling like an interruption to my, my wanting to just give up was him always saying, dad, can you do this? Hey dad, can we do this? Dad, where are you? Hey dad, where are you going? And I'm just like, man, you are, you are not letting up. You are relentless mm -hmm, in this mm -hmm. moment. And, and it just kind of brought me back to reality every time. And so I always, I haven't told him this yet, but I always say to friends and family, like Jaden was one of the people that helped save my life. Yeah. Um, because yeah. he just, he was innocently needing me. And that was, that's not the norm in the world. Most people need you, but they need you for them, for something, for something beyond just the purity of, I can't do this myself. I need you to do this. And I'm like, I got you, bro. I'm here. Daddy's here. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jaden, I will always shout him out. <laughs> my wife, because in grief, my wife will be honest. We're both honest about the fact that I definitely had a dark season of sleepwalking is what we call it. Even the, the psychologist called it that or the psychiatrist. And it was just I, like, I have memory lapses. I don't remember certain days. I remember listening to certain songs and being afraid because I didn't, that's my voice, but I don't remember recording that. I don't remember mm -hmm. writing that. Mm -hmm. And and just having those moments in life where it was like, what is happening? And Dale was always a person who was going to bring me back. And at the, sometimes at the expense of her own sanity, she was trying to keep me sane. And it was, and so I always, I'm like, Danielle, I'm still alive today because of Danielle. Like I'm, I know that now I'm like, you were a loving wife and friend during that time. And then community and friends around us. I have good friends here in the city and they were always willing to come get me. They weren't just like, Hey, what's going on? Making a phone call or like, Hey, what's up with you? And stopping by to say hello. But they were adamant about we're coming to get you to take you out to the rest of life. You have to live. Those people were always very key in loving me well, bringing me, bringing light into my dark spaces and giving me grace to, to, to grieve. Yeah. And then Probably the only other thing is <clears throat> all of, I mentioned all those people because one of the things that was given to me that I didn't realize was being given was grace to fall. I grew up, like I said, I didn't go to church. I wasn't a church kid. I didn't know any of that world. We ended up going to church later in life when my mom wanted to sing in church more. But even then, honestly, I just went because they were girls. I was like, I just want to go see your old girl. She's cute. So that's why I went. <laughs> and that's why I stayed. Mm -hmm. But um, 
But as I became a Christian and started to take my faith more seriously, what became really serious was this idea of being well-studied, well-versed in what I say I believe. So there's a lot of things that I learned as far as doctrine and the way things are to, meant to be and how you understand them and all this stuff. And I tell everybody from my experience, no matter what faith you have or who you believe in, when, when you go through something like that, and I can say it from personal experience, those things feel really cold at some point. Like doctrine felt cold. Like in the Christian faith, the idea of God being sovereign is a doctrine that you just hold to. He's just, he's sovereign. He's almighty and in control of everything. And for me, I'm like, that does nothing for me right now. Yeah. I don't care that he's sovereign. I'm, that doesn't bring me joy. As a matter of fact, it, and honestly, like if I can, you know, be somewhat frank, I'm like, yes. it, it pisses me off more that he's sovereign. I don't care about that. I don't care that he's sovereign. That does nothing for me. I actually am bothered by him more now. And the more someone would yeah. bring, and the more they would bring these things to me of like comfort, like, hey, but you know, God says this, or this means that. And I'm like, I don't care. Keep it. You can have that. What I, what I, what, what rescued me was real life testaments of what they say God said, people being real and yeah. being the hands and feet of Jesus. That was what made it real. And people gave me room to fail, to literally go, I don't care about this. I want to do my own thing. And they're like, Hey, but well, we still love you tomorrow. What'd you do? Oh man. And this being, I say, I say it in the music too. So I don't want it to sound like I'm just like putting y'all on the spot. Like, Oh my God, they got him to say all this stuff. Like, it's not that at all, but like, I mean, just being candid, like, I'm like, yeah, I woke up and I drank two handles of Tito's. Like I had vodka like every day for probably three months. Cause I'm yeah. like, I, I don't want to be myself or I'm going home to Houston and sit with my cousins and my old high school friends. And I'm high like three days out of the week. And I'm like, I just don't want to be myself. I want to quit. I want to give up. I don't want to be yeah. myself. And in those moments, people were not like, you loser, how dare you get away from us? You filthy person. They're just like, we get it. All right. We love you today. What are we about to do? And I just didn't know love could be that genuine. I didn't know love could be that real. Yeah. And so, oh my gosh, like I, I just want, I appreciate what you're saying so much because I think yeah. we actually, we're going to have another episode, I think, dedicated to just the things that we use to cope with grief that yeah. for a time they might serve us. And then for a time, you know, for me, like personally, alcohol was definitely something that served me after yeah. our dad's death, after our, after I lost three family members in, in four weeks, it was like yeah. wine yeah. was like the thing that helped me go to sleep at night, you know? Yeah. And for, I think for, for a lot of people, there are certain things that we find that help us to cope for a time. And then we realize, okay, this isn't serving me. And so I need to let this go or whatever, but we do what we can to just like get through, to survive. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. And then when yes. we're lucky, when we, you know, by God's grace, like people come alongside us and they help us to find ways to cope that serve us and that are healthy for us, you know, that are, that like, that help us to actually release and, you know, find healing rather yes. than just numb what we're feeling, you know? And so I, I really appreciate your, you know, your being candid here. And I think that's why people relate to your music so well and why they relate right. to like your videos on Instagram. Like, I love what you say about, you've been posting a lot in the last few months about friendship and adulthood yes. and the importance yes. of men who reach out and who connect with each other and who are real with each other and who seek support 
And so I just, I feel like everything that you've said in this, in this time together is so inspiring for people who are going through a hard time because you're, you are, you're real, you're honest, you're raw about what you experienced. Yes. Your name means faithful, right? Yes. Um, Yes, it does. And that is you, you know, that is you, man. Like you are, you are that guy. And yeah, I just, I'm so grateful to you for, for showing up in the way that you do today for other people, because it does bring hope. It brings me hope today. It's you're a light. You really are. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing, you know, is just, I can hear the courage in your voice and the boldness and just being so genuine and sharing our truth with people about how we dealt with things, good, bad, ugly, blessed, unblessed, joyful, heartache. All of it is there, and so many people are afraid to talk about it when we what we are doing behind closed doors to try to cope with our grief and our loss and our trauma mm-hmm. is really what what's important right it's It's the nuts and the bolts of it, and I think that one of the things you mentioned that the people that help the most I think are the people who knock on door and show up and say, "Hey, I'm taking you here let's yes. go." And yes. let's find, and I've got and, and, yes. and, 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 beca- and a lot of people, they don't quite know what to do. And you talked earlier about, they're not sure if they even should bring up their, their name of whoever you, you've lost, yeah. but it, it's truly those people that are like, I'm coming over and I'm bringing chicken soup and yeah. we're going to go for a walk. And, yeah. and they just, they continue to show up whether you're answering them or not. And, and I, those, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that it's really important to to rehash that out too, or or rediscuss that because it, it it I think it's helpful for people out there who maybe are listening. They're like, I just don't know how to help this person, and yeah. that that's really beneficial for people to know. No, that was my saving grace was people being honest and open about. I want to come be with you, but I don't want to offend you, and it gave us the freedom to say yes or no to it versus feeling as if we had to micromanage their, their issues or what to do as we deal with our own issues. And so it, mm-hmm. it, it, it brought a level of freedom to us to be like, yes, come on over. It's fine. And yeah, bring the soup and we'll go for a walk and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it all. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm still a person and I like being with you, but I will say in that season, the people who I am closest to in my life now, post uh, losing post my son's passing mm-hmm. are the people who were, who fought to stay close in that season. They are wow. now way closer than anyone else that I knew. Even the people like, it's odd. The people who I, I was super close to and before some of those aren't close to me as much as they used to be. And I think it's more by my decision than theirs, because I do feel a level of comfort and, and, and love and friendship with the people who were genuinely wanting to be present just because. And not to not be, not like they made it all about me, but it was a level of of consideration that went above and beyond the norm that led me to go. This is worth investing in, and their investment in me. I know, I, I know. I guess it's coming to my mind now. Like when I was in in the dark places of experiencing and going through grief, I was also left with this feeling of, oh my God, I let people down. I'm, I'm supposed to be this guy who's a leader or this guy who does music or this guy who teaches or does whatever. And oh my God, I'm out here, you know, wasting my life away doing X, Y, and Z. And so, man, I'm letting Chase down. I'm letting this, I'm letting that down. And, and now it's a compounded issue because 
not only are you still trying to deal with how to cope with your grief, but now you're trying to cope with the assumed ideas of what people would say or feel or how they would think or whatever. And to know that I don't have to carry that weight and people just want to see the healthiest version of me exist is, it was a joy. It, it, it led me more and more towards freedom. That, I love that. And I think that's what people are looking for is that freedom, that relief from suffering in some way. And that kind of leads us to, I can't believe I'm asking you our last question. Oh. I, feel like, I feel like this time could we could keep talking for, for hours. But yeah. for those listeners out there, they know that our last question, Tadashi, that we always ask our guests is that we want to know how has joy found you recently? Yes. So great question. Joy has found me recently in the ability to recognize the, the value that is on my life. And I don't say that because of what I do or who I am to the public, but after losing Chase, losing my sister, losing my stepmom, since then losing my grandmother, losing like after so many moments of loss in life and feeling afraid to leave my own house because I think it might be the last. Mm. It's, it's amazing to wake up now and feel a sense of value in who I am because I'm not trying to micromanage the what ifs, but I really am saying today I'm valuable. I can go out in the world and produce based on that value of what's in me, something great that will benefit me or somebody else. And I read this book that I tell people about called what happened to you, not mm -hmm. to, not to plug up somebody else's book on y'all show. My bad. No, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, no. I read it. But, it's good. It's good. Oh, good. Yeah. Like I never knew, like one, I read that book and I just wanted to hug Oprah. I just wanted to hug her. Right. I was like, I was like, I don't care if you got money. I don't care about what people think about what you believe, whatever, none of that. I just, I just want to hug you because you went through so much, but the different, but, but in relating to that, I went through some very similar things in my childhood. And I remember learning from that book the most, um, when you go through something traumatic, you naturally revert back to the reptilian part of your brain yep. and you only do what you, what's in the base level of your actions. Not only can you not formulate coherent thoughts and access your frontal lobe, but you can't fully engage the world outside of what's base behavior to you. And my base behavior and what I saw growing up was everything that I put out into the world when I was grieving the most and in those dark spaces. It was like all I saw as a kid, all I knew. So to now come from that place and recognize and have tools to be able to self-regulate myself, to, to, to search and fight to see the value in me, it's, it's given me this joy like never before to recognize that grief is a part of my story, Hardship has been a part of my story, but the story ain't done. Like I still can do something here. I still got oh room. Goodness. And so yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm not capping. Like it's so real. There is something legitimate here that I'm supposed to be doing. And I, I will allow grief in its proper place as I continue to fight to see the thing that's true also of me. And that and joy from that has been. Like I'm literally, I had a conversation yesterday with a friend about it. Joy from that has given me this new lease on life. Like I wake up excited about 
what I'm going to be able to do out of the view of what I have for myself now, because I didn't have that view before and losing my son, I felt like a horrible parent, like a worthless person. Like I was, like I was the lowest of the low, not like everyone's sad for me, but I'm sad for myself. Cause I'm like, why does this have to be my story? Why am I in this group? Why does that? And so to come from that and go, no, I, there's value in me still. It, I'm tell, that's been my joy for the second half of 2022 coming into 2023. That's been my joy. Well, Tadashi, today we rejoice with you over this. I, I often say to people when I'm giving talks and stuff like that, and I just want to share it with the listeners today. If you are sitting here listening to the three of us talk, you, your story is still being written. Yes. It is not the end. And your, your words just now, Tadashi reminded me of Richard Rohr. He wrote in Breathing Underwater, he wrote, we suffer to get well, we surrender to win, we die to live, we give it away to keep it. And for me, that is a representation of the upside down kingdom as a Christian. I feel like your story and your life is such a beautiful representation of the upside down way that the, the kingdom is like, so Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. I always end our podcast with a blessing yeah. for everyone. So this is our blessing. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy because seemingly against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you. Hey family, this is Coach Steph, and we want you to know that we appreciate you. If you wouldn't mind, and especially if you found our podcast helpful, please follow, rate, and or officially subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to us. This helps us grow and gets the word out to more listeners who really and truly need us. You can also consider supporting us even further by pressing the support button in our Anchor podcast link found in the show notes. Even $1 a month is helpful for us to continue to bring amazing guests and content to your ears. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to head over to our website, thegriefsisters.com. We have a free gift for you. It's a five-day grief meditation audio track that helps you manage anxiety. It includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. You can also find another audio version of the grief meditation track on episode three of season one of our podcast. We are also currently working on a series of resources and small group opportunities that will be tackling various phases of grief. These breakthrough resources will help you take steps to find the motivation you need to move through grief at your own pace, but move forward nonetheless. So look for updates on our website for those launches soon. Also, please look for our Grief Sisters Book Club and support group on Facebook. And remember, it's a, we don't care if you've read the book club. Join us anyway. All of the links will be available in the podcast descriptions. Thank you for joining us today, family. 
We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy. Because seemingly, against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you.